All right, I'm here with Dane Blanton, my friend, my colleague. Dane, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. Always good to see you, Aaron. Yeah, likewise. Um, Dane, you're an NCAA champion. You're a two-time Olympian. You're an Olympic gold medalist in Sydney in the year 2000. You're the USC head beach coach for the volleyball team. You're an awesome broadcaster. Uh, you're a motivational and inspiring speaker. Um, <laughs> you're just, you're an inspiring person, man. Uh, you know, you're, you're great. Your website is daneblanton.com and your Instagram is at daneblanton. Again, thanks so much for being here, buddy. Nice. That's a pretty thorough intro right there. I like it. <laughs> right Solid. on. Man. Right on. Well, we're going to get right into it. The first question I have for you is what does living an inspired life mean to you? Wow, tough question right off the bat. I mean, to me, you know, living an inspired life is, is really looking internal and trying to embody that person that if you were to look around and say, all right, I'm looking for a mentor, someone who embodies all these different qualities, you think of that, but then you start acting that way. You don't need to actually find that person. You need to start acting the way that, that you want. And I've always tried to surround myself with good people because if you surround yourself with too many um, poor character individuals, then they're going to pull you in that direction where they're, if you're with some really motivating and inspiring people, you're going to, you know, reach new heights. And that's really what it's all about. So I've kind of tried to really lead my life as an inspiration, as a mentor, because you just never know who's watching. So it's really important that um, you try to do the right thing and set the right example, because you know, there's, a, there's plenty of trouble out there. And uh, I think we, we need to have more and more role models that keep people and young, uh, young adults and young kids that are coming up, give them the right example so they can get on the right course. Absolutely. You know, and this whole project is, uh, is for the youth athlete and it's, we're trying to be a source of inspiration for them. And I was wondering if you could you maybe talk about practice for the, for the youth athlete right now. What does having an inspired practice mean to you? Well, practice is you go in, and I always tell my athletes, even right now at USC, when we start practice before, we usually do like a, a kind of a five-minute meditation, a quiet time to adjust from wherever you're coming from or whatever baggage you may be bringing during that day into that practice. So it's so easy to have things bleed over. Maybe you got a poor grade on a test. Maybe you know, you didn't uh, accomplish something that morning that you, you wanted to or you're upset, that can bleed over in practice if you don't kind of check yourself right before you start that practice. That sets you on the right course, right, with a clean slate. Then it's about how do I put 100% into this practice and try to learn something new and really always starting with like a beginner's mind where you think you can learn something new every single day. You know, I try to, as a coach, try to read something inspiring every day or learn something because there's so many people that have been successful that have such great examples out there and you want to always be learning. When you get to the point where you think you're good enough or you think that you've arrived or you've accomplished everything, that's when you stop growing. So it's so important to approach each practice like, it might be your last practice and you're trying to find out something new and learn something new. I think that the trap that people fall into is when they think the practice is, Hey, you know what? The coach is making me do this. And you know, you got to really check yourself and have to be there for yourself. And that's the only way you're going to learn. And then another thing Aaron, a lot of kids think they can go to practice with their peers and they're going to close the gap between them and someone who might be better than them. If you want to do better, you're going to have to put in hours outside of practice to get better. And don't just go to practice that everybody else is going to. you got to put in extra work if you are going to reach the top. And if you look at any athlete, they're always doing that extra. You know what I mean? The late Kobe Bryant used to hear about when he would lose a game, he'd be in the gym until midnight shooting three point shots and the team's already left for the next, you know, next game in a different state. It, it, it's just crazy. And now, right now I'm actually watching the, the, the last dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary and fascinating, you know, you see all these traits cross over to all the great athletes, how they put in that extra work to be the greatest. 
Right. I love that. And, you know, since this project is about tools, what tools can you offer for the athlete that's having an uninspired practice? Well, awareness is the number one thing, right? You have to be aware. If you don't, if you're not aware of what state of mind you're in, then you're kind of lost, right? You're in your own little bubble. You have to be aware. Am I bringing the most fire that I can bring right now? Am I making my teammates better? Am I helping the coach create a practice that is going to make someone else better? Maybe today, you know what, I'm not going to be that good, but I'm going to try to make my partner better and my teammates better. Right. Uh, that's kind of the approach that you have to take. But it's hard to get there. It's in a very evolved approach. Um, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of players think that the practice is about them. What can you give me rather than, you know, what can I bring to the table to make this environment better for everybody on the team? I like that a lot. You know, one of the tools I've been using, um, you know, when, when we're at practice, obviously not right now during the quarantine, but at practice, uh, you know, right at the beginning, I'll just choose a player and I'll ask them, hey, are you inspired today? And it's kind of like a funny thing because they don't really know how to answer it, but it kind of sparks like, oh yeah, actually, oh. and then I ask why, I'm like, why? And then they, you know, they talk about it and then it sparks this conversation. So that's another tool that, that I use for that. So, you know, maybe you could use that too. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that's also, it, it goes under awareness, you know, right. it goes not under, but now you're verbalizing it. Now you're making it a bigger conversation and actually the other players can hear it, right. which is great. But yeah, that's, it's a great question. Why are you inspired? What it's basically knowing what your why is, you know, why am I here? Well, I'm here to become the best player I can. I'm here to, become a player that better than I was a week ago. I'm here to try to win the next match we play in. I want to win the championship. I want to take it to the next level. You know, I want to be remembered as this. There's so many things and the great ones always are not satisfied, right? You, you see someone at the top of their game, but they themselves still think that they have to learn more and they have to grow. And that's, that's, that's that, kind of uh, open mind, that growth mindset that you're always learning, constantly learning and constantly trying to make everyone better around you. I love that. Let's, uh, let's carry that over into a game because it's one thing to have an inspired practice, but it's a completely different thing to have an inspired game. So what is the main difference? Well, you know, I, I always look at games and competitions as like the dessert, right? You put all the work in a lot of times the, 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 champion has already been determined if you go back and look at the work ethic and the time that's put in and you know how prepared you are once you start to play it's about instinct it's about leaving kind of thought on the sideline and you've put in the hours you know what to do now you just go out and do it and react and be the athlete that you are so you have to look at practice as, okay, I'm trying to hone my trait. You know, I'm trying to work on a skill. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. And then practice, you take that same, if you can take that same attitude, but it's not as much you're working on things, you're trying to execute to score points. And you're penalized if you don't. Whereas practice, you have to kind of let down your guard, not to compete any less in practice, but you need to allow yourself to make mistakes so that you grow to get to that next level. So those are the two different mindsets, but you don't want to be in a place where you, you are turning it off and turning it on, right? It's right. just a different way you approach practice. All right, I'm here to learn. I want to get that cut shot down. So I'm hitting it right inside, three inches inside that back line. And I'm working on it. It's okay if I err, but I'm learning from the errors. Whereas in a competition, if you err, it's, it's really going to cost you. And the other team is probably going to win the match. Right, right. And how does the inspired practice carry over to the inspired game? Well, it's a, you know, it's the same. I, you know, I have a saying, it's a quote, and I don't know who it's, who it's from. But um, the way it goes is that... Uh, everything is special, nothing's uh, important. You, you know, nothing's more important than the other thing. You gotta treat everything special. You can't go into, and you see it at the Olympic level, right? 
you see a lot of athletes going to the Olympics and they put all this pressure on themselves. They're like, I gotta do this and this is the biggest thing ever. And it is the biggest thing ever, but that can't be your mindset. You know, your, your mindset has to be, all right, I'm back on the beach. I remember when I was serving for gold medal point in the year 2000, I took myself out of the, the, the environment that I was in, in a sense, and said, you know what, I'm just, I'm gonna throw this ball up like I'm serving down at State Beach and I'm gonna rip a medium to, uh, to fast serve, but I, want, I need to make sure this ball's in on that first serve because you know how it is. If you miss the serve, they don't have to do anything, right? If you keep that serve in, they have to make a decision and they have to try to side out. And so you just never know when a team's gonna give it up. So you might only get one gold medal point in your life. And so I made sure that that ball was in and what do you know, my partner, Eric Fanonwana, put down one of the biggest stuff blocks ever, and uh, it was over. But take yourself, if you're having any trouble in the environment or if it gets too big, put yourself in your practice environment where you're comfortable and just really put your mind at ease. Like you're, 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 you're in that inspired practice, but you're just doing it at a higher level. I love that, Dan. That's awesome. Um, let's talk about emotion. What are the differences and similarities in emotion from both an inspired practice and an inspired game? Wow, you know, I was always so intense when I practiced and when I played, um, but it did turn up in the competition, uh, the terms of intensity and leaving emotion. I love when people play with emotion, um, as long as they're in control of that emotion. You can't be wild and out of control and yelling and you know, doing certain things. Whenever I got out of control with, or um, not out of control, when I got elevated with emotion, I was always in control of it. So if I were yelling at a ref, I wasn't out of my head. I knew what I was doing because that was what was warranted. And I knew how to walk the line so that you didn't get a red card. Or, you know, if you got the yellow card, then you then you kind of slowed things down. And the funny thing is the only time I got a red card was in the Olympics, in the semifinals of the Olympics, but it had nothing to do with, it wasn't a, about emotion. It was a it delay was, of game, right? Yeah. yeah. So, it was, we didn't get off the bench fast enough apparently. And it had nothing to do with emotion at the time. But at that point, it sent me into an emotional state. And in that state, I knew how far I could go because you get another red card, you're probably kicked out of the tournament. So at that point, retaliating to a red card that was unwarranted because I was never given a yellow for delay of game, it was straight red, I had to control that emotion, but also let that referee know, you know, that they made a mistake. And, you know, people make mistakes, but I'm still baffled on that call, you know. Oh. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, look, Dane, I actually watched that last night and I, I want to expand on that. This is a perfect time to talk about it. So you're locked at 10 all uh, for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And yeah, yeah, it was quite a while. 10 all and it was regular. Um, you had to serve to score the regular right. scoring. It was not side out rally scoring. Right. Um, so it was a battle it was one game to 15 and we were locked at 10 just back and forth back and forth um they scored the 11th point when we hit a ball just out of bounds we call the timeout we go to the sideline and as we're getting off the bench to come out the referee blows the whistle and pulls a red card out and said team usa you took too long to get on the court i don't even know if if portugal was on the court at the time it was such a weird call, and especially pace of play. After you're playing for almost an hour and 10 minutes, for the referee to be trying to speed up the match was, is just really odd. Um, but anyways, you saw it. What were, your, what were your thoughts? Well, yeah, that's what I want to ask you about, because you, you were visibly upset. I mean, anyone would be, uh, especially in the Olympics, especially in the semis. Um, that was to go to the gold medal match, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, so, but you, what I want to ask you about is that you were visibly upset. Um, and the emotional, uh, like the emotional place you were at, I want to know, were you mad 
at the ref, well, you obviously were mad at the ref, but when you, when you took that emotion back to the service line, when you guys got the ball back, I know what happened. You got five points in a row, but I want to know, I want to know the emotional place that you were in. Were you, were you directing your emotion at that ref? Were you just like, where did you go in your mind? Cause you went back to the service line and you were telling the ball person, give me the ball. I'm going, let's go. You know? Yeah. Talk to me yeah, about the emotion. Yeah, that's a- that's an interesting observation by you getting that ball from the uh, <laughs> the ball boy, you know, and saying, let's go. At the time, I said, uh, it was almost, you know, and I speak a lot on this when I speak to corporations or I speak to students, is that you're all going to be faced with obstacles, uh, but what you do with that obstacle is basically what determines your fate. Now, are you going to use it as an excuse? So immediately when they made that call, I said, all right, well, if we lose this match, it's not my fault. It's this referee getting involved. And then you fast forward in your mind. I remember thinking like, well, if that's the case, I'm going to be so frustrated watching the Olympics for the next 30, 40 years because all I'm going to be thinking about is how I got robbed by a referee. And so that kind of pissed me off as well. Like who wants to, I, I never conducted my business like that with excuses or blame and whatnot. So at that time I said, just like, you know, I used it as fire, as fuel. And I told Eric, I said, let's go. We got to, <clears throat> we got to go and we got to go right now. Um, and that's the place I went. Like, we're not losing this. These guys are three points away. Cause we went in the timeout. We're down 11, 10. We've come out of the timeout. We're down 12, 10 because the red court red card awarded Portugal a point. So we're three points away from our dreams being crushed, you know? And I just went into the mode of, we got to do it. We got to do it right now. And you know, it was an ACE down the line. I believe an ACE cross court. There was a stuff block by, Fenoy, we switched sides 13-12. I dug a high line shot and put it away, and then I aced him right down the middle. And it was pretty crazy because it took us probably an hour and 10 minutes to score 10 points, and it took us about four or five minutes to score the final five points. And we were inspired by that situation. So you beg the question, like, do you thank the referee? You know, and I never thanked the referee, but I think his poor call and poor judgment lit a fire that we might not have been able to manufacture ourselves. And so that's the story of an obstacle being thrown in your way. You can either let it light a fire for you or you can, you know, sit down and cry about it. But uh, I always, you know, choose the let's fight it out let's be inspired and let's raise our game to another level but you're right I was emotional emotionally in all in right there but I had to be very careful because I was upset um, to keep that that emotion in check and I think that's that's a challenge but something you know I learned over time okay so now that we're talking about that moment I want to expand on it just a little bit more because I think I saw you in a video say that you and Eric, your guys' goal was just to get a medal. So like that moment when you won that semi, you were guaranteed a medal. And I want to ask you about the emotional side of that too, because you, not only are you guaranteed a medal, but now you're going to go fight for a gold. So how long did that moment last where you're like, well, we just realized our goal because you, your goal wasn't to go win the gold. Your goal was to just medal, bring home some hardware. Well, I mean, your ultimate goal is to win, right? That's why you're there. You want to give yourself realistic goals. Um, But I think your goals had changed in that moment, right? It wasn't like, yes, you, everyone wants to win, but like, I, you know what I mean? Like, like in that moment of winning the semi, you're like, oh my God, we actually have a chance now. Well, yeah. I mean, here's how I always look at a match and I do the same thing, you know, coaching now. You want, I think it's sometimes a little much to put yourself in a position to say, I got to win this. I got to win. I got to, you know, what does that mean? Like, okay, I need more points than the other person. Okay. How do, how do I use that as motivation? It's kind of hard. So I always say, I want to put myself 
in position to win. You know, it's a little, I want that. Do I, am I going to have the swing for the match? Am I going to have that serve to win the gold medal? Am I going to position myself with the possibility? Am I going to have that last shot if I'm a basketball player? You know what I mean? That's what yeah. you live for, that opportunity. So you fight for that opportunity. Once you get to that opportunity, okay, now you take it to that next level. But until you get to that point, you know, that's why people say chunking it down. You've probably heard of chunking your yeah. goals down. It's because, of course, you have the big picture in the back of your head of what you're there for. You want to win the ultimate championship. But it's much better to focus on shorter, um, shorter goals and then get to that next goal. So once we were in the medal hunt, like if – you know, if we lost that, we would have been playing for a bronze. We won it, so we're playing for a gold. So now that I'm in that mindset, I'm going to the beach on that day, September 26, 2000, riding the bus from the village and just kind of meditating and focusing. And, and then, you know, it hit me, like, if we don't even show up today, we're going to get the silver medal, right? We're already getting the silver medal. So why not go down and do something special? This is once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and I got, we got into a mindset, Eric and I, that wasn't about win, win, win. And I always tell players, you have to focus away from win, 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 more execute. You need to execute what you've been practicing in a competition now. So you, all, you, all that matters is the next play. What are you going to do on the next play? All right, you're back to serve, receive. All right, does this guy serve down the line? Does he serve in the middle? Does he serve short? Does he have a trickler serve that comes over a lot? You know, what's going on? What, how do I execute that next play? That gives you power, okay? I can execute that next play. I got to win the next point doesn't mean anything. What does that mean? That doesn't mean I got to press over the net to get the block. You know, you think about the execution rather than the I gotta win you know you get out there and you say I gotta win and you're down by five points all that does is freak you out right and make you make you more panicked so it's all about focusing on if you notice when Eric when we won Eric turns and and basically runs me over but you can see the look of shock on my face and it's not that we've won the goal gold as much as it's like there's no more points to play I'm thinking in my mind like are we you know like where's the next play and then there's no more points to play. It's over. You know, that's something that's tangible that you can control that I'm going to go balls out, execute on this next play. doesn't matter what happened in the last play. It could have been a great play. It could have been the worst play. But how can you go clean slate? And that's the beauty of volleyball, right? You have like 15 seconds at least between plays where you can go clean slate. Let's go. We're yeah. back, you know, and whichever players – can master that ability will dominate yeah mastering that in between plays of getting the mindset in the right spot puts a player at a huge advantage a huge advantage and we've all given up the three or four points in a row because we made a really poor play it bled into the next play we're emotionally down we're not focused and all of a sudden we lose four points in a row right, right. so you got to get to be the player where you're not losing four in a row. Maybe it's two points in a row and then you're back on track. And then hopefully it's one point. I love charting a match where a team never gives up like two in a row. I mean, that's like you're playing some high level volleyball. And the only way you do that is focusing one, one play at a time. So I love that. I want to expand on mindset and uh, self-talk in just a second. But before we do that, um, I just want to, I want to read you this quote that I, I found of yours and I want, I want you to expand on it and kind of tell me a little bit more about what you from it. All right. We didn't care about our expectations. Sorry. We didn't care what our expectations were externally from other people. We always focused on playing as best we could from, from there, the winning would take care of itself. Can you just expand on the expectations externally? I really like that because you're basically saying like, I don't care about what you guys think. It's going to be between me and my partner. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I tell you, I told you earlier about the Olympics. Countries hype up their best players. They put the pressure on. They're like, they're supposed to do the thing. I'll tell you what, the big thing that Eric and I, the huge advantage that we had was that we were not expected to do well. Right. And so a lot of people didn't think we could accomplish it. So that almost, that inspired us to a whole nother level. I mean, I don't know if, you know, back then, if, if you recall it all, but the AVP was really pumping up like Jose Loyola and uh, Emmanuel at the time. And they also wanted Karch Karai and Adam Johnson uh, to do really well. Uh, Bill Berger was the CEO of the AVP at the time, and he was Adam's former agent. So there was a lot of weird stuff going on. So there was a lot of stuff we wanted to overcome. Um, but once we made it into the Olympics by winning uh, third place in Belgium in 2000, which was maybe 45 days prior to going to the Olympics, that was a huge load of bricks lifted off our shoulders to qualify. But it came down to the last tournament. I mean, when does that happen now? It doesn't. You know, you see these teams that know they're going to the Olympics a year out. Right. We didn't know until 40 days. So we, we passed our test very late in the qualification. So now we're run, running on all this momentum. We have a chip on our shoulder because no one thinks we can do anything. And we are going there with something to prove and having no fear of coming up short. So that's how we got into the focus of um, – let's just play one, one point at a time and let's really execute and not worry about the outcome. The outcome takes care of itself. That's why I always tell players now, you go hard, you focus on the next play. You don't even look at the scoreboard because the scoreboard will be taken care of if you're doing your job. But if you go and focus on the scoreboard, you're screwed. You know what I mean? That doesn't help you. All right, I'm down 10 to 15. I got to win this. What does that even mean to the body emotionally? All it means is, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm in a panic state. We're playing to 21. I'm down 10, 10 to 15. What am I going to do? Right. Rather than I'm down 18 to 10, good. You know what? I'm going to win this next play. I'm going to win this next play. It's just like it's the same concept, right, of taking like, you're doing a thousand stairs, right? You're just one step, one right. step. You think of the whole deal, you're, you're kind of in trouble. And right. so same kind of deal, uh, one step at a time. It's way easier said than done, right? <laughs> it's easier said than done to focus. And it's the same thing with your days. If you focus your days and, and you're disciplined and you put the effort towards your ultimate goal, you're going to end up in the mix and somewhere you're going to be like, you know, like you, you know, you right now, you, you told me you, you have a writing coach and you're, you're, you know, you're surrounding yourself with all these things. One day you're going to wake up and be like, Oh my gosh, look, I got five bestsellers <laughs> and I'm doing a book tour and I'm speaking on inspired living and I'm living my dream and I'm doing well financially and I'm making a big impact. And it's not like, and people be like, man, he came out overnight. It'll be like, right, right. Well, no, I've been working on it for 20 years, one day at a time, same kind of deal. And yeah. so it's hard for players and people in general to grasp that. But I think that's, that's the magic. I love that. I love that. Let's go into mindset. You touched on it briefly, but uh, let's go ahead and expand on that. What is your mindset? Uh, Pre-game, during game? and post game? Well, like I said, you gotta push yourself hard when you're training. It's, it's about training. There's not, like, there's not like this magic that just happens where it's a fluke and you train, you train, you're, you're, you're banging on the door. It's like Eric and I, we trained for those two years trying to make, make it to the Olympics. And finally all that training came together. And so that's the mindset of, you got to put the time in, you got to 
you know, I, I almost kind of sound like a broken record to myself, but it's that one, one practice at a time, one practice at a time. And all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself where you want to be. And I know it sounds simple, but that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, no, I, I got that. And, and I was wondering if you could maybe expand a little bit on the self-talk. I think you started to a little bit, but the self-talk is really important for <clears throat> athlete because there's so much going on up here. Um, what is yeah. your self-talk in the middle of a game? Just give us a glimpse. Well, you want to be positive, right? You want to give yourself positive affirmations. All right, you know, this next play, I'm going to, I'm going to crush this ball down the line. All right, I'm going to stuff this ball. I'm going to dig a play, you know, make a defensive play here, put the ball away. And it's just like focusing, right? So many people think like when you meditate, right, you sit for five, I said, hey, Aaron, you got to sit down for five minutes, close your eyes, be quiet. You close your eyes and you're going to have these different thoughts that are going to pop up in your head. Now, you don't control those thoughts. They're, they're going to happen. But the one thing you can control, and that's why in meditation, people always say, get back to the breath, right? Because that's something that, all right, let me just get back to that. So you have a weird thought of something that's totally irrelevant, right? Or something crazy. You just try to pull it back. So your focus goes off this way. You just try to pull it back. It's going to veer. You pull it back but it's practice, right? You pull it back, you practice, you're practicing it. And eventually those, those times where you're here start to get longer and then you get pulled, but then you're able to hold it here a little longer. Like when you first start, it's like your mind's like ding, 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 ding all over the place. But once you get really solid, you can get completely present and that's where you want to be. I'm right here. I'm right now. I'm not thinking about, I mean, how many times you've been in a match and you're like, oh man, we could go out tonight to dinner at that one place. Oh, and oh, so and so is going to come there and we're going to hang out, you know, like, yeah, like, or I'm hungry, you know, I'm, I want to yeah. eat some food, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry or my leg, oh, it hurts, you know, or I can't wait to be done with this. I can go get a massage and work on my shoulder. It's aching. Like, all those are real thoughts and they, they happen. And there's nothing wrong with them happening. It's just like, okay, they happen, but now bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And you focus on bringing it back. And over time, you're able to keep that. So all like you're totally present. So I go back, I'm serve, receive. I'm like, all right, I'm thinking of all the options. I'm thinking of what's going to happen. I'm watching the server. Where's your shoulders? Where's this ball going to go? I'm anticipating if my partner passes the ball, where am I going to set him? All right, what have they done to this point? That all that talk is like fully present of prepping, you know, your instrument to execute. And so I was constantly trying to get to that state where you're fully present. And then you start to execute all the training that you've, you've put in there and you're trying to do it as best as, as you can. So I, cool. I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. And, and just to carry a, you know, carry that a bit further. So the stoppage time. I'd like you to answer this question as a player and as a coach, because the stoppage time is really important because there's a lot of it, especially in volleyball between whistles. Right. And all that time compounds and that's a lot of dead time in the middle of a, of a match. Um, and even looking back on your career, how much stoppage time was there? You know, I mean, hours, days, you know, so how do you utilize that stoppage time? Well, that's the time you, 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 get present you know a lot of sports like basketball is kind of continuous right you don't have a lot of stoppage time you're up you're playing defense you're playing offense you're playing defense hopefully you know you get to slow things down whereas tennis whereas volleyball you have a built-in in between every single rally okay i made a bad play i got a break so that's what i was kind of saying earlier he who takes advantage of that time gets the mind more present learns from maybe the last play and is ready for that next play. You know what? Okay. They got me down the line on that one. All right. I need to make a slight adjustment. Okay. You know, and the more present you are, the more focused you are, the more ready for that next play rather than a lot of people just go blank. I think in that time and they're like, Oh, and then it's all of a sudden the whistle blows and they throw up a serve and serve it in the bottom of the net. And they're like, Oh, okay they're just not actively focusing. Totally. You know, it's like, 
it's actively engaging themselves in the process that's happening right there. So that's what I said. Whoever perfects that or becomes better at that usually wins. And how much of that time is reflection on the last play? And how much of that time is visualization for the next play? I think it's a combination. If you, you always want to learn from your poor plays and, but you always want to be ready um, for that next play. If you can visualize, all right, I'm passing the ball and I'm crushing it here right before it happens. It's, I think it's a great thing, but also, Oh, I remember, okay. He's holding middle and he's sliding into the line last second. So it's got to be a little quicker to the spot or they're going to dig that ball. You know, you just you got to be really aware. And I always tell people, hey, players, that shot might have gone down against whoever you're playing right now, but does it go down against Misty May in the backcourt? Does it go down against a Karch Krah? You know what I mean? What is your standard? You know, cause you see a lot of players, they're like, oh, I won the point. I won the point. Well, who cares? You think that play is going to win you a point in the championship? Right. You, you know, that's where you have to really figure out, okay, what's my standard? And I always push players to not only hold yourself to a high standard, but also hold your teammates to a high standard. Sure. It's not about, ha, 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 I got a trickler ace. You know, you get an ace, you're like, dude, that was a bonus. Sure, I'm going to celebrate it, but it was a bonus. There was a little luck involved. But let me go back and execute the exact serve that I want. You know, there's not many, I mean, I know there are some people that try like a trickler serve, but it's kind of, there's some luck involved. Sure. Uh, you're usually trying to execute hitting the ball to a spot or beating something to a spot or having a float serve that has movement on it. And it's just funny when I see a really ugly play, I, and it really bothers me when I see a really ugly play, but people are so excited about it and that becomes a pattern there can be like of course a great team has a terrible play they win the point you laugh it off and it's like hey i'll take it but when it becomes a pattern of just oh that's acceptable even though i i, I jumped backwards on my approach and i got the kill it's like i don't care about the kill i care about your approach technique was poor now if it's championship point I'll take, you know, it's like, you'll take it when you get lucky, but you want something that's tried and true that's going to work time and time again. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about flow, Dane. Can you identify when you are in the, in the game, in the flow, or in the zone, or locked in? Can you identify that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the flow or the zone or whatever you want to call it. It's been called so many different things. Things are just happening the way you've trained, things are slowing down for you. You can see things. You're, you're not panic or stress. You want the ball. You want to execute. You want to um, just showcase what you're doing. It's like what you've trained to do. And there's just so much joy out of executing something as near to perfection as you can. Um, whether it's that line shot or it's that last minute move as a blocker and stuffing the ball down or that rip ace down the middle that, you know, there's just so many things that, uh, that you just want to accomplish. So it's, it, it's cool when you get into that zone, it's very hard to, and it's it doesn't, it's not like you can force it, but you can do certain things in your practice that, you know, and those certain things are trying to be present, trying to focus on the next thing, your mind's in the right place. And when everything aligns, usually that's when you get in that zone and things start to slow down. You start to really execute at with ease because your body knows the move because you've trained for it. And you just, you know, everything's in line and you're just feeling it. And can you, uh, like you, you talked about awareness earlier, are you aware of it or is it just something that just kind of happens and you, you remember it? Well, I think you're aware of it when you're in it. You, you know, I think things start to just flow and just happen very easily because you've trained the body for it that there's not a ton of effort. 
I mean, there is, but you don't feel the effort. You're just, you just, you know, it's like if you see top players when they're on fire, like in basketball, they just, everything's going in the hoop. Basketball players always say that the hoop feels like it's so big. Anything they throw up, it just goes in. And there's just not a lot of thought. There's a lot of instinct. So you just know where that next ball is going to be defensively to make the play and to put it away. And so things are just in line. And, and, you know, I don't know that a lot of partners get in the zone at the same time. I think it kind of goes back and forth at times. But um, I think you're aware of it when you're in it. And then when you're finished, you're like, wow, that was a, that was really a, a cool game. You know, I think it was our quarterfinals in the Olympic against Wong and Hyder that we were in that state where we just knew what was going to happen before it was going to happen. We had scouted so well. We were on top of our game physically. We were eating right and getting the sleep. I mean, everything was in line. I think we won that game 15-2 or 15-3 in the Olympics. And two of those points were blocks by Hyder that they got. So it was a nearly perfect match in terms of the score. So I think we were both kind of in, in that flow or, or that zone, if you would call it. And we were motivated. You know, we, the, they were kind of a rival at the time. There's only two teams per country. and They were the, considered the first team at the time. So, again, we had something to prove. You know, I think it's when you play with something to prove, if you can get your mind in that state, you know, that's where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, like you, like you said, it, it is a rare thing. That's why I'm asking you about it so much. Um, and especially for the youth athlete, you know, do you think that it's possible to practice being in the flow? Or does it, is it just a product of really good training? Yeah, it's a product. I mean, you don't control when you get there. It kind of when certain things align, you are you all of a sudden are there. Now, can you work on those certain things? Aligning? Are you really, say you're really good at, you know, meditating and you're really good at being present and you're training hard and all of those things kind of come together at the right time. And then that's the result and that's what you get. But I don't think you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to be in the zone this game. It, right, you know, right. and sometimes you can do everything right. And you have, you know, Phil Dahlhauser over there making you look bad because <laughs> he's stuffing you, you know, that was your perfect no look down the line, but he waited on you and stuffed you or, uh, um, you know, like you might have that perfect hit you ball in front of you, good approach. You got up, but sometimes it gets blocked or sometimes it gets dug. Um, yeah. Uh, well, well, what about this? What about in, let's say in practice or in training or even in a drill um, and you find yourself in that state, is it possible to bank that feeling for later? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's what you want to use when you're doing any type of visualization. Another time down the road, you want to almost play back the tape in your head Right. of that time when you were in the zone and maybe you you, you also you, you take into account like how did I get there right what did I do to prep for that game what did I eat how much sleep did I get when did I eat for all the things to come together so I can try to emulate that again and hopefully it happens but I'm sure people have done everything exactly the same or tried to nearly the same as they've done previously and not entered the zone sure. um, but I think your chances are better if you pick apart that visual tape and play it back and make improvements on it and I think you're more likely to get into that zone or that flow than not okay all right that's cool um and are there any tools other than meditation that you that you mentioned uh that you can offer to get back in the flow when you're not in the flow yeah, I mean, first of all, to be in the flow, you have to be very present, right? And right. times when you're not playing well, usually players are not present or they just lack the ability or maybe you're just playing a, an opponent that's better than you. 
Um, and you have to recognize the difference, right? Me being beat by someone who's better than me is different than, you know, I could be in the flow, but not being successful because of my abilities. So you kind of got to weigh, all right, at my best, am I able to beat this team even? You see what I mean? You got to be aware of what you're in. You know, you're a qualifier. It's your first match. You're playing, you know, Jake Gibb and Taylor Crabb. And you're playing really well, but you look at the score and it's, you know, they're beating you 18 to 10. Um, But you might be playing really well and you might be in the right mindset and the right, but you're just, your abilities aren't there yet. You know, but once you get there and you're playing in the finals all the time and you're at the top of your game, that's when, okay, I know I can beat this team. I just need to be in the right mental state and be able to execute when I need to. So it's about that confidence is really what you're saying. Well, it's about confidence, but it's about ability too. Like you can be in the zone, but be a mediocre player. So what does that mean? You know what I mean? You, you, if you're not executing, you know how it is. You better, if you get 10 hits at the AVP level, you better kill nine of them. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you're killing seven or six, the game's not close. And there's certain teams that you play that you know, all right, this team's going to give me probably, when I used to play cards, I'd be like, now I'm going to get two or three opportunities to score points. Okay, whether it's that line shot that he put up that I ran down and gobbled up, now I got to put it away. If I don't put that ball away, that's one of those three opportunities because he's not going to give you anymore. Right. (laughs) And it's the same thing where it's like with like a fill. It's like you're not going to get many breaks. You're not going to get any gimmies or you might get one or two here and there. And so knowing that and being able to execute are you know that's a premium awesome uh let's let's shift into sources dane where do you get inspiration from man everybody i think everybody has something to offer me i love to read a lot of books about sports psychology and uh, mindset um i also like to surround myself with people uh, and find out, you know, I got this, the coaching job at, at USC. I mean, the first person I wanted to sit down with was Marv Dumphy, right? Because, and then he gave me a, a lot of great information, a lot of, because uh, he's been a mentor my whole career. I went and played for him from 90 to 94. We won a national championship in 92. And he's was the head coach of Pepperdine for four different decades. And I think won five, five or six national championships. And, just I think everybody has something to give you you know I spent four years as the volunteer assistant coach at USC under Anna Collier and you know Anna's one of those kind of polarizing figures right some people love her and some people don't vibe with it right but I'll tell you what she's got a ton of knowledge and a ton of things that were inspirational to me and learning you know she taught me a lot so uh, I think no matter who it is, there's something to learn. And that's the cool thing about surrounding yourself with the right people is that you, you can kind of stack and elevate yourself to another level. Um, and I think everyone's got a different person, uh, personality and perspective, and that's what makes people unique. And you've spoken to a lot of different sources and it's pretty cool, but I think you probably understand a lot of stuff starts crossing over. And when those crossover points start to happen, that's where you're like, okay, this, this works. This worked for this gold medalist. This worked for this gold medalist. And this worked for this gold medal coach. You know, it's like, there's gotta be something here. And so I think it's very important that you just pull from reading, from watching video, from, talking to people like you said you just pull that inspiration um you don't have to pull it all you know that's a great thing you can pick one two or three things someone's gonna watch this and they can take one or two things away and say the others the other stuff's garbage you know what i mean it's just finding what works and then 
taking it to that next level, how it can be implemented in your, uh, in your work. That's awesome. That's awesome, Dane. Uh, these next couple questions are more popcorn style. Um, but again, answer them how you wish. Um, how do you define success and what does being successful mean to you? Well, I think the biggest thing with success is to have a goal and pursue it to the best of your abilities and, and to accomplish it. I, you know, I love progress and moving forward and success is not always winning the title. Uh, sometimes it's, I got 30% better. Of course we play these games and we play in sports that everything is put on that championship. And of course, that's how you measure a lot of things, but there's a lot of success that can happen without winning that championship, without making $10 million and getting the mansion. Um, success has many different looks. And I think we have to individually decide what that is. You know, for someone, it might be making a lot of money, but not doing it in the in a very genuine or a, a classy or character way. Whereas someone else could care less about that. They want to help young kids uh, get better and to watch a kid that might not have had a future get an education that would be success for someone who may have taken them under their wing. So sure. to me, it's, it's really about accomplishing and, and, making people better around you, but also accomplishing or, or making progress towards a goal. Okay. Just to expand on that, I found this quote of yours and I was wondering if you could just help expand on it and just explain what you meant. You said success isn't something that happens to you. Success is something that happens because of you. what do you mean by that? Yeah. A lot of people think like, Oh wow. You're so, you know, you're so lucky. You, you won this or you made it to the top of this. And it's like, well, it didn't just happen to you. That's what you have to understand. It happened because of the choices that you made, the, the positions that you put yourself in, the work ethic, the grind, all of those things. So many people think that it's, it's just like picking numbers, you know, it's like, all right, you get this and you get this. It's like, no, you, those that work for it make it happen. That's why, that's what that quote means. It's, it happens because of you. It, it doesn't just happen to you. A lot of people are kind of sitting around thinking like, oh, maybe I'll get successful. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't go very far. You gotta go earn it. I like that. How do you consider the idea of failure? Say that again. How do you consider the idea of failure? How do I consider the idea of failure? Well, that's, an, again, another very, um, I guess, subjective uh, situation. You know, it's, it's hard. If you come out, if you put pressure on going after something and it doesn't happen, you have, you could, you could read it as you have failed in that endeavor, but ultimately, you're not a failure. You know, we can all fail. Like if I want to run a hundred meter dash in under 10 seconds and I do it in 11. Okay. I failed to accomplish my goal, but maybe I started and I was running it in 12 seconds and now I'm running it in 10 and a half seconds. You know what I mean? Right. So I've ultimately made success out of that. So again, perspective. Someone can look at that as a complete failure or someone else can look at it, oh, I shaved almost a second and a half off of my, my time and now I'll be ready to go even more for next, next time around. So I think it's more, you're not failing, it's you're, you learn. And I think you need to get into that mindset where I'm learning from my mistakes and I'm learning from my shortcomings and I got to make the adjustments and those who make those adjustments, they go on to do great things. You know, I mean, you probably heard the story as a sophomore that uh, Michael Jordan got cut from the, the yeah. team, you know, and right. it's the same kind of thing. Did he fail at that point or did he learn? 
And I, I would beg to, you know, say that he, he learned quite a bit and put a chip on his shoulder never to have something like that happen again. So right, again, right. perspective, right? The next person might have packed it up and never, never played the sport again. What a disservice to the rest of us that would have been if that would have been the case of, of Michael. For sure, for sure. What are the most successful habits that you do on a consistent basis? I think working out um, and staying active. Uh, and I say that because not only do you gain endorphins and the whole chemical reaction, like it's a drug, you just feel better, but also the overall health you get from it and the ability to be mobile and active you know i know a lot of people who get older and you're just you're sedentary you're not doing anything i just think that moving every day and stimulates not only your body but your mind and you know i still try to play basketball three times a week and just stay busy and and push yourself see how strong you can be even as the years go by you know, and like I was just on a, a conference call yesterday and uh, I don't know if you know, do you know Owen McKibben? Of course. Shout out yeah. to Owen. Yeah. So like Owen, I mean, look at that guy. He just turned 57. I mean, the guy. How many covers like has he been on? What's that? How many covers of. Yeah, uh, like 17 men yeah. health, men's health covers. And, right. But you look, I mean, he's a guy I look up to and I'm like, hey, man, I hope in 10 years, uh, you know, I'm looking that way. It's just. Like I said, there's something to pull from everybody. And Owen's an inspiration and to, to be in that kind of shape. And it's just cool to see, see um, people get strong and push the limits. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying with what habit, that habit bleeds into so many other things. Having that health, not, you know, hopefully knock on wood, not getting sick and staying healthy and active and moving. You set a good example there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just a few more here, Dane. Um, what is the most important lesson that has helped shape who you are today? Wow. The most important lesson. That's kind of a tough one. I don't know. I, maybe we have to come back to that one. Okay, that's cool. That's okay. cool. It's hard to pinpoint, right? I know. Um, maybe this one may help you. Can you share the biggest challenge that you've been through on your journey? I'd say for sure, like from my athletic career, the biggest challenge was that Olympic run. You know, the ins and outs of two years trying to qualify. And, um, you know, also another big challenge was making it back to the second Olympics that I played in, in 2004. And then, um, that was a huge disappointment once the Olympics happened, the very, it's almost contract contrasting styles from winning in 2000 and then not doing anything in 04. Um, so I think that was an interesting lesson, but there were a lot of things, you know, you have partners that are different, that things that are out of your control. So, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you have to control the controllables, right? There's so many things that you cannot control. So you have to just really focus on yourself, what you can do and, and lead by example. And hopefully that bleeds over and becomes contagious for for the next person uh, to your right or left, but um, really holding yourself to a really high standard. And I think I, I think I prepared very similar to the 2004 games, like 2000, but like sometimes you can prepare and be ready and things don't work out, but right. you just get up and, and you got to go again. You know, it's the same thing as I talked about earlier. There's those obstacles, they hit you and you got to get up. You got to get up and try it again and, and keep hitting the wall. And you've seen the stories in the Olympics. People have been to three, four, five Olympics and gotten better every time, you know, got eliminated the first time and then all of a sudden they get a medal. And then the third time out, they win a gold medal. It's just 
it's cool to see those types of stories and those learning experiences. Absolutely. And as a coach, what's the biggest challenge you see for your athletes today? Well, what I'm finding this is one of the biggest thing, and it's cool because the player pool gets bigger and bigger, but you need to, to recruiting is so big in terms of recruiting the right athlete that is hungry and that wants to go to that next level. And it's really difficult to motivate people if they're not internally driven. And that was such a treat when I was coaching Sarah Hughes and Kelly Clays as an assistant at USC, really driven, really motivated. And, um, that's a lot of fun, but if you can find those, if you can find as many of those driven athletes as you can and put them on the same team, that's when it gets really fun. And um, that's what we're trying to do right now um, at, at SC. But uh, it's hard as a coach because sometimes you just want to get out there and do it. And you have to have a lot more patience and you want to be consistent. And you just, you want the team to know that uh, this is their team. It's, it's as a coach, you can't, you can't want it more than they do. That's what's really important. You got to understand, let them know that it's their team and I'm there to help lead it, but um, they got to want it and the passion's got to come within. I love that. That's awesome. Um, how important is the idea of having impact to you? Well, it's huge. I mean, I think for me, that's, a, that's one of the indicators of success is having for for me personally is having an impact on people you know i think there's probably nothing better and like i'm sure a guy like amar dumphy hears it all the time where he influenced someone to do some something great you know and usually don't get to hear about that until you're older and you see this kid who was 12 now is coaching for themselves and winning championships and and they did it because of the impact of that someone else put on them uh, and the influence that they had. So I think impacting your surroundings is huge. And I think if everyone thought a little more about, about that, about being that that example, then uh, I think we'd be in a much better place. Absolutely. I mean, you inspire me not only because you won the Olympics and have a gold medal, it's because of what you're doing with the gold medal now. You know, and that's a, a main reason why I want you to be a part of this, this project is because of the impact that you would like to have on the next generation. And I share that same desire, you know, um, and that leads. Into, yeah. And that leads into like the, the, the biggest question I could ever ask you is, what is your why? Well, I think kind of about what we just touched on, you, you do it to not only enhance and try to accomplish your goals, but to help other people reach their goals and try to enhance the environment that you're in and the, the people that you're around. And I, I think that's why we're all here is to elevate, uh, to get to that next level so that we can inspire you know when like for instance now i'm trying to I'm, I'm a coach of course we're judged as coaches as graduating athletes creating high character individuals and ultimately and winning championships as well so you want to win those things and you know the more success that you have the more prominence you you can have more of an impact right. and your uh, your philosophy or the way that you carry yourself might impact more and more people out there. So, you know, I think changing the environment, enhancing it and really inspiring others is, is really a huge part of my life. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Last question. Uh, having achieved the peak of athletic achievement, what does fulfillment mean to you? Talk to me about winning gold. Well, it's cool because you you can talk about it all day and until you actually pull it off or accomplish it, then it's not real. You know, you, you just, you see everyone wants to accomplish or win at whatever game they've entered, right? If you opt, to, you know, if you want to be a soccer player and you want to, you know, be a tennis player, 
you can talk about it. Hey, I want to win Wimbledon one day or whatever. And you set out to get better, to improve. And all of a sudden you make it to where it is and you fulfilled that. And then you actually win or accomplish it. Or, you know, even if it's, Hey, I want to be making X amount of dollars a year, you know, fulfilling that is awesome. And then if you want to reevaluate and change the benchmark at that point, then that's what you do. But like, to go back to what you said, we wanted to win, you know, we wanted to bring home some jewelry. We just wanted to bring home a medal. We wanted to contribute to that medal count. And that doesn't mean you get it and you're done. It means, oh, now I'm here. What else can I accomplish? Now I have an opportunity to win the top prize. Let's, let's make it happen if that's the state of mind that you're in. Um, but I think setting goals going towards those goals and trying to fulfill those goals even if you come up short you come out always a better person dean blanton man that was inspiring uh i'm inspired right now thank you so much for your time uh <laughs> you you uh, you continue to inspire me and everyone around you i know you're going to be successful at usc um you're awesome, man. I appreciate you. No, oh, man. Thanks for uh, having me on. And it's always fun. I mean, you don't get to do interviews like this very often. So thanks for making it happen. And whenever you need anything, you know, you can reach out, Aaron. Oh, man. So, so appreciate that. Once again, your website, daneblanton.com, Instagram handle at daneblanton. You're the man. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. All right, man. Appreciate it. Bye.